0: Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I want to thank you again for listening. We have on this site over 3,400 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. You can go to Google Play Store and Apple Store and download the Church One app for sermon audio and enter Hackberry House. Now, my books are on Amazon.com. And you can contact me at bob.j.falconer.72 at gmail.com. We will return now to the story of John G. Patton. It's chapter 3, Consecrated Parents. Somewhere in or about his 17th year, my father passed through a crisis of religious experience. And from that day, he openly and very decidedly followed the Lord Jesus. His parents had belonged to one of the older branches of what is now called the United Presbyterian Church, but my father, having made an independent study of the Scotch worthies, the the cloud of witnesses, the testimonies, and the confession of faith, resolved to cast in his lot with the oldest of all the Scotch churches, the Reformed Presbyterian, as most nearly representing the Covenanters and the attainments of both the First and Second Reformations in Scotland. This he made as a deliberate choice, and sincerely and intelligently adhered to, and was able at all times to give strong and clear reasons from Bible and from history for the principles he upheld. Besides this, there was one other mark and fruit of his early religious decision which looks even fairer through all these years. Family worship had heretofore been held only on Sabbath day in his father's house, but the young Christian entering into conference with his sympathizing mother managed to get the household persuaded that there ought to be daily morning and evening prayer and reading of the Bible and holy singing. This the more readily, as he himself agreed to take part regularly in the same, and so relieved the old warrior of what might have proved for him too arduous spiritual toils. And so began in his seventeenth year that blessed custom of family prayer, morning and evening, which my father practiced probably without one single avoidable omission until he lay on his deathbed, seventy-seven years of age. Whenever, to the last day of his life, a portion of scripture was read— And his voice was heard softly joining in the psalms, and his lips breathed the morning and evening prayer, falling in sweet benediction on the heads of all his children, far away many of them over all the earth, but all meeting him there at the throne of grace. Our place of worship was the Reformed Presbyterian Church at Dumfries, under the ministry, during most of these days, of Reverend John McDermott, a genuine, Solemn, lovable covenanter who cherished towards my father a warm respect that deepened into apostolic affection when the yellow hair turned snow-white and both of them grew patriarchal in their years. Uh, The minister, indeed, was translated to a Glasgow charge, but that rather exalted than suspended their mutual love. Dumfries was four miles fully from our Tortherwald home, But the tradition is that during all these forty years, my father was only thrice prevented from attending the worship of God, once by snow, so deep that he was baffled and had to return, and once by ice on the road, so dangerous that he was forced to crawl back up the Rukan Bray on his hands and knees, after having descended it so far with many falls, and once by the terrible outbreak of cholera at Dumfries. Each of us, from very early days, considered it no penalty but a great joy to go with our father to the church. The four miles were a treat to our young spirits. The company, by the way, was a fresh incitement, and occasionally some of the wonders of city life rewarded our eager eyes. A few other pious men and women of the best evangelical type went from the same parish to one or other favorite ministers at at Dumfries, and uh, when these God-fearing peasants foregathered in the way to our house from the house of God, we youngsters had sometimes rare glimpses of what Christian talk may be and ought to be. We had two special Bible readings on the Lord's Day evening. Mother and children and visitors reading in turns with fresh and interesting question, answer, and exposition, all tending to impress us with the infinite grace of a God of love and mercy, in the great gift of His dear Son, Jesus, our Savior. The shorter catechism was gone through regularly, each answering the question asked until the whole had been explained, and its foundation in Scripture shown by the proof texts adduced. It has been an amazing thing to me, occasionally, to meet with men who blame this catechism for giving them a, a distaste to religion. Everyone in all our circle thinks and feels exactly the opposite. It laid the solid rock foundations of our religious life. After years have given to these questions and their answers a deeper or a modified meaning, but none of us has ever once dreamed of wishing that we had been otherwise trained. Of course, if the parents are not devout, sincere, and affectionate, if the whole affair on both sides is task work or, or worse, hypocritical and false, All results must be very different indeed. Oh, I can remember those happy Sabbath evenings, no blinds down, no shutters up, and shutters up to to keep out the sun from us, as as some scandalously affirm, Uh, but a holy, happy, entirely human day for a Christian father, mother, and children to spend. Others must write and say what they will, and as they feel, but so must I. There were eleven of us brought up in a home like that, and never one of the eleven, boy or girl, man or woman, has been heard or ever will be heard, saying that Sabbath was dull and wearisome for us, or suggesting that we have heard or seen uh, any way more likely than that for making the day of the Lord bright and blessed alike for parents and for children. But God help the homes where these things are done by force and not by love." As I must, however, leave the story of my father's life <clears throat> much more worthy in many ways of being written than my own, I may here mention that his long and upright life made him a great favorite in all religious circles far and near within the neighborhood, that at sick beds and at funerals he was constantly sent for and much appreciated, and that this appreciation greatly increased instead of diminishing when years whitened his long-flowing locks and gave him an apostolic beauty, until finally, for the last twelve years or so of his life, he became, by appointment, a sort of rural missionary for the four nearest parishes and spent his autumn in literally sowing the good seed of the kingdom as a coal porter of the Tract and Book Society of Scotland. His success in this work for a rural locality was beyond all belief, Within a radius of five miles, he was known in every home, welcomed by the children, respected by the servants, longed for eagerly by the sick and aged. He gloried in showing off the beautiful Bibles and other precious books, which he sold in amazing numbers. He sang sweet psalms beside the sick and prayed like the voice of God at their dying beds. He went cheerfully from farm to farm, from cot to cot. When he Wearied on the moorland roads, he refreshed his soul by reciting aloud one of Ralph Erskine's sonnets, or crooning to the birds, one of David's psalms. His happy partner, our beloved mother, died in 1865, he himself in 1868, having reached his 77th year, an altogether beautiful and noble episode of human existence having been enacted. Amid the humblest surroundings of a Scottish peasant's home, through the influence of their united love by the grace of God, and in this world, or in any world, all their children will rise up at mention of their names and call them blessed. Chapter 4 is School Days. In my boyhood, uh, Tortherwald had one of the grand old typical parish schools of Scotland, where the rich and the poor met together in perfect equality, where Bible and catechism were taught as zealously as as grammar and geography, and where capable lads from the humblest of cottages were prepared in Latin and mathematics and Greek to go straight from their village class to the university bench. Besides, at that time, an accomplished pedagogue at the name of Smith, a learned man of more than local fame, had added a boarding house to the ordinary school and had attracted some of the better-class gentlemen and farmers' sons from the surrounding country, (coughs) so that Tortherwald, under his regime, reached the zenith of its educational fame. (coughs) In this school, I was initiated into the mystery of letters and all my brothers and sisters after me, though some of them under other masters than mine. My teacher punished severely, Rather, I should say, savagely, especially for lessons badly prepared. Yet, that he was in some respects kindly and tender-hearted, I had the best of reasons to know. When still under twelve years old, I started to learn my father's trade, in which I made surprising progress. We wrought from six in the morning till ten at night, with an hour at dinner time and half an hour at breakfast and again at supper, These spare moments, every day, I devoutly spent on my books, chiefly in the rudiments of Latin and Greek, for I had given my soul to God and was resolved to aim at being a missionary of the cross or a minister of the gospel. Yet I I gladly testify that what I learned of the stocking frame was not thrown away, The facility of using tools and of watching and keeping the machinery in order came to be of great value to me in the foreign mission field. One incident of this time I must record here because of the lasting impression made upon my religious life. Our family, like all others of peasant rank in the land, were plunged into deep distress and felt the pinch severely through the failure of the potato, the badness of other crops, and the ransom price of food. Our father had gone off with work to Howick and would return next evening with money and supplies. But meantime, the meal barrow ran low, and our dear mother, too proud and too sensitive to let anyone know or to ask aid from any quarter, coaxed us all to rest, assuring us that she had told God everything and that he would send us plenty in the morning. Well, next day... With the carrier from Lockerbie came a present from her father, who, knowing nothing of her circumstances or of this special trial, had been moved of God to send, at that particular nick of time, a love offering to his daughter, such as they still send to each other in those kindly Scottish shires, a bag of new potatoes, a stone of the first ground meal or flour, or the earliest homemade cheese of the season, those kinds of gifts they give to each other, which largely supplied all our need. My mother, seeing our surprise at such an answer to her prayers, took us around her knees, thanked God for his goodness, and said to us, O my children, love your heavenly Father, tell him in faith and prayer all your needs, and he will supply your wants, so far as it shall be for your good and his glory. Well, perhaps amidst all their struggles in rearing a family of eleven, this was the hardest time they ever had, the only time they ever felt the actual pinch of hunger, for the little that they had was marvelously blessed of God and was not less marvelously utilized by that noble mother of ours whose high spirit, side by side with her humble and gracious piety, made us, under God, what we are today. I saved as much at my trade as enabled me to go for six weeks to Dumfries Academy. This awoke in me again the hunger for learning, and I resolved to give up that trade and turn to something that might be made helpful to the prosecution of my education. An engagement was secured with the sappers and miners who were mapping and measuring the county of Dumfries in connection with the Ordnance Survey of, of Scotland. The office hours were from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m., and though my walk from home was above four miles every morning, and the same by return in the evening, I found much spare time for private study, both on the way to and from my work, also after hours. Instead of spending the midday hour with the rest at football and other games, I stole away to a quiet spot on the banks of the Nith and there pored over my book, all alone. Our lieutenant, unknown to me, had observed this from his house on the other side of the stream, and after a time called me into his office and inquired what I was studying. I told him the whole truth as to my position and my desires. After conferring with some of the other officials there, he summoned me again, and in their presence promised me promotion in the service and special training in Woolwich, at the government's expense, on the condition that I would sign an engagement for seven years. Thanking him most gratefully for his kind offer, I agreed to bind myself for three years or four, but not for seven. Excitedly, he said, Why? Will you refuse an offer that many gentlemen's sons would be proud of? I said, My life is given to another master, so I I cannot engage for seven years. He asked sharply, To whom? I replied, To the Lord Jesus, and I want to prepare as soon as possible for his service in the proclaiming of the gospel. In great anger, he sprang across the room, called the paymaster, and exclaimed, Accept my offer, or you are dismissed on the spot. I answered, I am extremely sorry if you do so, but to bind myself for seven years would probably frustrate the purpose of my life, and though I am greatly obliged to you, I I cannot make such an engagement. His anger made him unwilling or unable to comprehend my difficulty. The drawing instruments were delivered up, I received my pay, and departed without further parley. Hearing how I had been treated and why, Mr. Maxwell, the rector of Dumfries Academy, offered to let me attend all classes there free of charge so long as I cared to remain. But that, in lack of means of support, was for the time impossible, as I would not and could not be a burden on my dear father, but was determined rather to help him in educating the rest. I went, therefore, to what was known as the Lamb Fair at Lockerbie, and for the first time in my life I took a fee. For the harvest. On arriving at the field, when shearing and mowing began, the farmer asked me to bind a sheaf. When I had done so, he seized it by the band, and it fell to pieces. Instead of disheartening me, however, he gave me a careful lesson how to bind, and the second that I bound did not collapse when it shaken, and the third he pitched across the field, and on finding that it still remained firm, he cried to me cheerily, Right now, my lad, go ahead. Well, it was hard work for me at first, and my hands got very sore, but being willing and determined, I soon got into the way of it, kept up with the best of them. The male harvesters were told off to sleep in a large hayloft, the beds being arranged all along the side like barracks. Many of the fellows were rough and boisterous, and I suppose my look showed that I hesitated in mingling with them. For the quick eye and kind heart of the farmer's wife prompted her to suggest that I, being so much younger than the rest, might sleep with her son George in the house, and offer, oh, how gratefully accepted. A beautiful new steading had recently been built for them, and during certain days or portions of days, while waiting for the grain to ripen or to dry, I planned and laid out an ornamental garden in front of it which gave great satisfaction, a taste inherited from my mother. With her joy in flowers and garden plots, they gave me on leaving a handsome present, as well as my fee, for I had got on very pleasantly with them all. This experience, too, came to be valuable to me when, in long after days and far other lands, mission buildings had to be erected and garden and field cropped and cultivated without the aid of a single European hand. Amen. Next time, chapter 5, Leaving the Old Home. Leaving the Old Home. John G. Patton's story. I hope you'll join me next time. This is the Hackberry House. Lord willing, we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.